0: So we're going to come to God's Word. We're going to look at Isaiah 64, just a moment. But I don't know about you, but I just hope that when we finally get back to singing, that we don't quite sing in the way that we used to. By that I mean, when we used to sing and sing freely, some people didn't sing. So you'd be in a congregation, and there'd be you know, several folk, and they'd be mumbling the words, sort of, if they were mumbling the words at all, or they'd be looking around. I hope actually when we get back to singing, we actually remember what it is that we should be doing and we be lifting our voices and praising God um, with uh, all of our hearts you've got somebody trying to come in (laughs) so um, I want to look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64 so if you've got that open in your hands that would be good Uh, then you'll be able to follow hopefully fairly clearly So I'm looking at Isaiah 64 and I'm going to do so under the title of what we need what we need now I wonder whether you feel frustrated with where you are at life in in life at this moment in time you know there are often times aren't there where in our lives when we just have a few moments to sit and we uh, and we go over where our life is at and we get a little bit frustrated as to where we've come it might be that um Well, in this pandemic, um, you might be frustrated with all the small and annoying things that seem to be being restricted or taken from us. Uh, Those sorts of things might be bothering you. And it really is the small things that get you down, isn't it? You know, not being able to just bowl into a shop without thinking about it, having to remember to put the mask on before you go in. Um, It's the annoying things like not being able to sing in church. Those kind of things, they bother us, don't they? And they get under our skin and cause us... To be frustrated. Or maybe it's something a little bit more serious than the little things. Maybe it's uh, your career is not going the way that you want it to. Maybe you are not heading in the direction that you would like to. Um, Or maybe, quite simply, it's what career? You know, you thought you were going to have a career, but it's never really materialized, and you've just gone from one job to another and been frustrated in your life as you've gone through that. Or maybe it's something a little bit more difficult and personal maybe it's the internal struggles that has you bothered at this moment in time Uh, you know what you should be in following the Lord Jesus Christ or you know what you want to be like as a person but it just seems that you're not there and it doesn't seem no matter how hard you try to work to get there it doesn't seem to come quite right well as Isaiah writes he writes prophetically to the Israelites in the time of exile so Isaiah isn't in the exile he's writing some years in advance to what will happen in the exile and to the experience of God's people during that exile and he can see that there is great cause for frustration amongst God's people things are not going the way that they wanted them to and for a nation who has great Pride in itself, in in, in who it is, uh, 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 pride in its, its identity, it really is a frustrating period in their history. They thought that they were doing what God wanted them to. Well, kind of they did, and kind of they didn't really want to do what God wanted them to, which is why they end up in exile. But whilst they're in exile, whilst they've been carried away from their home city, things are looking bleak, and those who have any interest in the things of God look around them and they say, well, things aren't where they should be. And if you were to look at the end of chapter 64, verses 10 and 11, you really get summed up the idea of how frustrating things are for the people of God. Uh, Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem is in desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, the temple, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have come to ruins. As they look around, life's a mess. And what am I going to do with my life? It's in such a mess. What am I going to do with this situation? How are we going to find our way out of this? Well, Isaiah does for us in this passage what every believer should do when they feel so frustrated. Particularly when we feel frustrated about our spiritual progress. I don't know how many years you've been a believer. But you know it's very easy to become downhearted with where you are in following the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's very easy to become disillusioned with the... You know the kind of Christian that you want to be, but you just know that you're not where you want to be. So what should we do? Well, Isaiah helps us. The first thing he does is he cries for help, verses 1 to 4. The situation requires, as as he looks around at the desolation that is all about him, as he looks around, the situation requires nothing less than the supernatural intervention of God. He needs, Isaiah himself, but also the people need that God himself would act and change the whole landscape Uh, humanly speaking as they look around there is just no way forward they've tried everything they've tried uh, doing better they've tried uh, uh, working together they've tried doing it their own way and all and every approach that they have tried simply hasn't worked and as isaiah looks around the situation he comes to the conclusion well the only way that this is going to change is if god moves if God changes everything. Now it may well be that you have heard Christians folk quote this first verse in their prayers. Oh that you would rend the heavens and come down. Uh, you don't have to go to many Christian prayer meetings and you discover that that verse comes out. And the reason that they quote it is because they're, in their hearts they know that even today as God's people we desperately need revival we desperately need God to come and to change everything now as Christians in the UK today we have very little voice for God don't we Uh, we've discovered that even in the pandemic we feel a little bit as though we've been squeezed Uh, And it doesn't seem to matter, you know, any kind of noises that come from Christians, nothing seems to change. Now, please don't get me wrong, I don't actually think that we're being particularly victimized in this country uh, as God's people in that sense. But all around the world today, there are Christians who are victimized for simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here... We have so very little voice. Our desire, actually, as God's people in this nation today, all too often is simply to blend into the background, doesn't it? We don't want too much of a fuss made about us. We don't want to stand up too loudly for the Lord Jesus Christ because if we do that, we're going to upset our neighbours and our friends. And we wouldn't want to do that now, would we? Let's not make a fuss... Let's be one with the community around us. And spiritual things and heavenly things, let me suggest, in the UK today are at a low ebb. Things aren't where they should be. So let's make that a little bit more personal then, shall we? If you don't think that that is particularly the scene. Let me ask me what your priorities are in life today. by that, what I mean is I want you to look back over the last, let's say, 12 months. What have been the priorities of your life? What has taken the most time? What have you, as it were, made the thing that you want to get hold of, that you have worked towards, that you have put time and effort in? Or actually, more seriously, where do you spend your leisure time? You know, we all have to go to work. We all have to earn uh, the money to, 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 to put on the table, as it were. But outside of that, what takes up your time? Or who takes up your time? Is it Christ and the things of God? Or is it the things that you want to do? Which don't really factor in what God wants, necessarily. Do the things of Christ and his kingdom lay in waste as you look around within your own life today? Does he have the priority? Does he have your focus? Well, verse 1 tells us that the only hope in the midst of such lethargy is God. And verse 2 tells us it requires God because he is the only one who can bring about the kind of reaction that is necessary to effect change. You see, when God moves, nothing can resist him. Nothing. In fact, the description is given... In, the, uh, in those verses, in verse 2 particularly, the example is given of fire amongst twigs. I don't know whether you ever watched a fire. You know, you, you light a fire up and you get hold of a bunch of twigs and you throw them on the fire. What happens to those twigs? Do, they, do you see them straining with all their might to resist the fire or do you see them actually just completely consumed by the fire? Well, the reality is we just watch them consumed, don't we? They're powerless to stop the fire. And so, Isaiah tells us that when God moves, we are powerless to resist him. When he moves, we change. Uh, How about this then? When you put your, um, you know, you're going to go and boil some eggs maybe. Let's think about that. You're going to boil some eggs and you get your pan of water and you put the heat underneath it and you watch the water. Have you watched how, how hard the water works to resist the fire? Doesn't work too hard at all, really, does it? (laughs) Because the longer it sits there, the more it boils. And if you forget to turn it down, well, it will boil over, won't it? It is powerless before the heat to do anything but boil. And so Isaiah says that we need to cry out to the God who can change everything because nothing can resist it. We need to be those who call to such a God. The world needs to see the power of God today, doesn't it? You know, how are we going to convince our friends and our families, and even strangers that we meet, of the, of the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ, unless they see his power at work? But that's very easy, isn't it, to look at the world and say they need to see God's power, but actually at times we need to see it too, don't we? You see, we get rather too relaxed in our walk with God, unless we are convinced of his power to change us. Verse 3 tells us that our trouble is that we put God in a box. We assume that we know how God will work, and so we plod on, over time, becoming more tied into our systems, and of explaining God and his reactions away. Now, please don't get me wrong, I am a conservative evangelical. Okay, I, I hold that we need to hold to the, to, to the um, doctrines that are within the Bible. But I am also aware that if I'm not careful in the position that I am, I am more comfortable with the doctrines than I am comfortable with God. <laughs> and so I can box God away and I can hide him behind all the things that I know about him that are true and always convince myself that he simply won't work how about you do you find that it's rather too easy to explain away the difficult things well here the wonderful thing is is isaiah says we need to call on the god who will surprise us who will do things that we never anticipated that he would now please don't get me wrong i am not telling you that he will act outside his word He is true to his word. He cannot be anything other because his word tells us who he is. But you see, all too often we add to his word. We tie him in to what we think is acceptable and approvable. And if we're not careful, we try and even take his power from him in that way. But here, Isaiah says, look, we need to call upon a God who, when he moves, the foundations of the world shakes. We need to believe in him to act in our day. So we should have, as God's people, supreme confidence that our God will act. It is actually what he delights to do, to work for the good of his people. Look at verse 4. That's what it tells you in verse 4, that there is no God in this world today who works like our God for the good of his people. do you believe it we should have such supreme confidence because we can look back and see the way that God has worked in the history the Israelites at that time could look back and they could look back to Egypt and they understood that God was able to rescue in some astounding ways You remember every one of those plagues that came upon the people in Egypt? I can tell you beforehand, the children of Israel had no clue that that would happen. They were astounded by what happened and the very foundation of the world that they lived in was shaken. Not least because of the size of the hailstones that hit the ground. (laughs) Or take it, Joshua, as he goes into the promised land, to take over the land and to uh, to turn it over to the people of Israel. And victory after victory is won, not because of the might of Israel's army, but because God went before them and fought for them. In fact, their reputation went before them, that God was on their side and it changed everything. That's what we need in our day, isn't it? that the reputation of Jesus would go before us so that when we finally share the gospel the battle's already won or we could, couldn't we, we could look at the cross Isaiah in his day couldn't but we look back and we see the cross and it was astounding why would God work in that way? every Israelite at that time when Jesus comes on the scene all they're looking for is a is a mighty military leader who is going to lead them in battle and yet Jesus comes God himself and he behaves as though he has no power at all he heals a few sick people he does some spectacular things so that people understand that he is God yet he doesn't quite seem to have the power and authority that we were expecting And eventually he finds himself on a cross and and he looks the most weak and pitiful sight. And yet as he's at that most weak and vulnerable stage it would seem, God shakes the foundations of the world on which we stand. The powers that are held against us are brought to nothing in the face of the weakness of God. and we are able to be forgiven we are able to be made right the trust question is do we trust that God are we prepared to cry out to him and ask that he would work in our day or have we just come to that place where we simply go through the motions of doing what we think we should do Well, Isaiah sees the reality. So he knows that this is the God that he should call to and indeed calls to. But he also sees the reality of the situation in verses 5 to 7. Yes, God loves to work for the good of his people. He delights to work for the godly, for those who walk the paths of righteousness. That's what the verse tells you. But then Isaiah goes on to say, the problem is, there aren't any. There are no, there's no one in the world that is righteous. As he looks around at the children of Israel or, or the, uh, Israel, the Jews, if they've gone into um, exile, he looks around and he says, look, he scratches his head, but there's no one righteous. God's not going to act. Now, even those that say they follow God, just their lives aren't right. Isaiah 64 and verse 5, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? He says, look, we've been nearly 70 years in exile and we still haven't learned any lessons. We know what we should be but we're nowhere near it. Why should God act? And you know, we can feel a bit like that ourselves, can't we, as we look around uh, and we think of our own lives as Christians and we think, well, why on earth would God act in my life? Why would He do anything for me? There's nothing in me that He should desire to do it. In fact, everything that I do just seems to be wrong. Do you recognize that? I do, even as one of God's saved people, through the blood of Christ, my righteousness, my personal walk with God is shambolic and often peppered through with ungodly thoughts and attitudes. And I'm a pastor. Verse 7 reminds us of the reality that actually, in our world today, so few bother to pray. Isaiah is speaking to his situation and to the people of uh, of God in in that time, and they don't pray. But actually, I think we can point that finger at ourselves as well, can't we? If I were to ask you of a show of hands, and I'm not going to, so please don't put your hand up, but if I was to ask you for a show of hands as to the number of you that make your church prayer meetings a priority, I would be amazed if it hit a third of your regular congregation I would be amazed I hope I could, can be amazed but um, I would be amazed and you won't be any different than many of the churches across our nation today barely a third of the congregation actually sometimes even barely a third of the membership will bother to come out to pray And as I look round at you younger ones, I would be amazed if any of you made it out regularly to pray. I'm not asking you at the end of the service to come along and say, but I do go. But I would be amazed. Ah, oh, but you say, we pray at home. <laughs> Do you really? Because I can almost guarantee that if you don't see the value of getting together to pray, the likelihood of you praying at home is very slim. Now, please don't get me wrong. You might pray, but likely as not, it will be 10 minutes maximum. And they will be self-centered prayers. They will be about your own day, your own things that you're going to deal with. And they won't go much deeper than that. Occasionally they might be about someone else. If they're in enough of a problem that you should pray about them. But largely about ten minutes about what you're doing in your day. And there will be very, very little calling on God to act in our world today. If any. Well, Isaiah recognises that this is because our sin causes God to hide his face from us. When we go into prayer, we don't feel that we get anywhere. We feel as though sometimes the prayers are simply bouncing off the ceiling. And Isaiah recognises that actually that's because we carry on sinning and our sinning causes God, as it were, to turn his face away. And in truth, Isaiah says, we do not deserve that God should act. We simply don't deserve it. We do not deserve that he should come and display his power, though that is what we need, and we will not succeed without it. Actually, Isaiah seems to be saying at this point in the text, well... It's futile, isn't it, it, brothers and sisters? Should we just give up now? But that isn't quite the whole story, is it? Verses 8 to 9, he sees the need for grace. Isaiah looks at the situation, he's foretelling what's going to happen, and he says, look, what you're going to need is God's grace. As a young baby is thoroughly dependent on its parents for everything that it has. In other words, unless mum or dad feeds it or clothes it or teaches it or nurtures it, that child will die. So we need to come to God fully understanding that we need his grace. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that we do that makes us merit what God should do. But we come as those who are dependent children crying out to God and such is Isaiah's recognition in this instant we can do nothing to earn God's intervention the best that we do is well it says as filthy rags we can only look to him as a child looks to his father dad please Uh, more than that we are just like the clay in a potter's hand that has no say over what it will be it simply has to submit to how the potter will deal with it and so we can't go to god and demand because we've been extra good for a week or two that god will act and we can't go to god and demand anything in reality because we like the clay simply are the vessels that he shapes you know, it would be a bit odd, wouldn't it, if you went into a potter's shop, um, you know, and you saw him at the wheel and the clay started talking to him and telling him what it wanted to be. Wouldn't it it'd be a bit weird? You know? That would freak us out somewhat. <laughs> Yet sometimes we think we can tell God what he's going to do for us. And so we need to understand that we have no power to demand, we have no goodness in us that we should expect anything that we should come to God as though we are little children simply asking God to act how are we going to ask him to act well we cannot manipulate God we cannot force his hand we can't put his arm up behind his back as it were and tell him that you know this is what I want you to do God it doesn't work like that we simply come pleading God's grace I don't deserve it Lord we don't deserve it Lord But we need you to act. Verse 9 shows us how we are to ask. We are to plead for God to stem his anger. What we deserve is God's wrath. Even as we walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, our behaviour often is not what it should be. And so we have to go each day, don't we, and and renew our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him for the forgiveness of our sins. We keep short accounts, is how some Christians might put that. But we are to ask as well that our sins are remembered no more. You know, the problem is we we remember our sins rather too clearly, don't we? We look back over our lives and we can see just where we've messed up on every occasion... And we can then sort of recognize that, well, actually, well, if God is to look at me, he's not really going to want anything to do with me. And so we can avoid going to him because of those things. Well, here we need to remember that as we come to God in prayer and seek his face, we are to ask that God would remember our sins no more. And be reminded of the fact that he said he won't. (laughs) And then we are to remind him that we are his people. Do you know that's one of the most crucial things when you come to prayer? You need to ask God not to give us what we deserve. We're to ask him for the grace that we don't deserve. But we're also to remind him that actually we are his You see, the reminding God that we are his people is an important thing. It takes us back to Moses. I don't know whether you remember the experience of Moses. He's up on the, on the mountain, he's uh, receiving the, the Ten Commandments, and as he comes down from getting those Ten Commandments, he comes down to a people who have abandoned God pretty much in, in every way. They are having well, what can only be described as a, an orgy, really. And they've erected these golden calves. And instead of turning to God, they are turning away from Him towards what they can see and touch and feel. And God rightly looks at that people and He says, right, (laughs) I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. All they have done is is profane my name and he says to Moses well Moses you know as they're so bad what we'll do is we'll get rid of that lot and we'll start afresh with you now if you were in Moses shoes and bearing in mind Moses had to put up with the moaning and whining and complaining and uh, causing him all sorts of grief if you were in Moses shoes that would have sounded a very appealing way forward A fresh start with new descendants from Moses. Because those other Israelites just aren't really worth wasting my time on. But what does Moses do? He doesn't say, oh yeah, that's a great idea, Lord. Yeah, I can see the benefits there. Let's move forward on that one, shall we? What he says is, hang on a minute, Lord. No, they're not my people. They're not my people. They're your people. And if you don't act to deal with your people, and if you don't act in a powerful way to change the situation, it's not them that will suffer, it's your name that will suffer. Your reputation, Lord, will be in tatters. And Lord, you don't act because they deserve it. You act because your name deserves it. You see, it's God's power that is on trial today. (laughs) If I can put it in those terms. In our own lives, in the lives of those around us in the world that we live in. It's God's power that needs to be seen. And God's power needs to be seen most particularly amongst his people. Jesus Christ knew that sinners we were, or what sinners we were, before he came to save us every sin we would ever commit was born on his shoulders when he paid with his life so God is not surprised by our wickedness now that does not excuse our wickedness and I don't want you to go down that line but God is not surprised by our nature and the way that we behave and when we go wrong that doesn't that never knocks him off his guard as it were What bothers him is when you do not understand that you need God to transform that situation and you are not pleading with him for it. When you're not coming back to him and saying sorry for the wrong that you've done. When you're not coming to him and asking him to work for the glory of his name not for your glory but for the glory of his name Isaiah ends this chapter and really he he says he says Lord look at the desolation of your people he says look we're in a mess you can't allow this to go on God if this goes on, people will think that you aren't God and that you do not keep your word. It ends the passage asking this question, can you really leave us to our own devices, Lord? Because left our own desi- devices, all we do is make a mess. And we need you. Now, I don't know what you came to church for this morning. Maybe it was just because you can actually come out now. But I hope you came hungry to get a hold of God. I hope you came hungry to find Christ. Because you will know, if you know your Bible history, you will know that after Isaiah has prayed this and the people of God have, have uh, as it were, Uh, found themselves in this situation within their history, you will know that God did not leave his people where they were. He brought them out of exile. And he had Jerusalem and the temple rebuilt. Why? In readiness for the one who would come and rescue all people. In readiness for Christ. So we don't look back to the Old Testament and say well that is the way that God acts. We look back to the cross and we are amazed at what God has done for his people. We acknowledge that he forgives our sin. We acknowledge that he works with grace. We acknowledge that without him we can do nothing. And so as we go from here. We go confident of one thing, not of my own ability to follow Christ, but of Christ's ability to keep me and to change the world I live in, for the praise of his name. So as you go out to seek to live for Christ this week, be concerned about one thing, the honour of the name of Christ. Seek through this week to make sure that the honour of Christ's name is lifted high. If you say, well, I'm insufficient for the task, well, welcome to the club. No one is sufficient for the task. That's why we need Jesus. If we were sufficient, we wouldn't need a saviour. But we need him every day. So seek his face while it may be found, and you will see great things. Let's pray. Loving Father, we want to thank you for the wonder of your word that reminds us that we have nothing to offer you. There's nothing in our lives that would deserve that you should act. But we come and we simply ask that the honour and the glory of your name would be made known in our world today and that you'd be pleased to use us in that process. Forgive us our sin. Forgive us our willful desire to do our own thing. And instead, we pray, come and move and change us. Lord, shake the ground on which we stand, we ask. For Jesus' sake. Amen.